This is Mike Shea of SlyFlourish.com and guest writer for the Emmy Award-winning website Critical Hits. Today I had the great pleasure to speak with Steve Townsend, a Wizards of the Coast freelance designer and a trained actor. His products include Heroes of the Feywild, Madness of Gardmore Abbey, The Monster Vault 2, and The Monster Manual 3. Today Steve and I talk about designing and building great adventures. This podcast is an hour and seven minutes and I hope you enjoy it. Also, I'm sorry about starting the talk up by screaming. So why don't we get started? All right. Um, I always like to start off with three good, solid tips that whoever's listening can, if they only listen to the first three minutes of the of this recording, and if they are, then shame on them. But I, <laughs> I would like them to to get something useful out of those three minutes. So to start off with, and and the topic of our of our conversation uh, tonight is adventure design. Okay. Uh, kind of both on you know some on how to deal with published adventures, but also on just general general adventure design for DMs who like like to roll their own, which I believe is probably most of them. Right. I have no statistical evidence whatsoever for that to be the case, but it would not shock me if most DMs, because their DMs tend to want to do their own thing. Um, would, yeah. So what if you have tips for adventure design? Tips for building good adventures. Uh, what are their What are your top three tips? Well, I do think that you're right. It's it's different from uh, on a published adventure from a homebrew uh, or a, you know something that you're doing yourself. And I'll I think I'll mostly talk about the self created stuff. Sure. Uh, but for me, it's um, I think the number one thing is that it it an adventure should be about the characters. Um, and you know when I start off a campaign, I usually have a long interview process about uh, characters and finding out uh, what makes them tick, wh- how, where they grew up, who their family is, who their uh, who they love. If they, I ask questions like, "Well, are you married?" or "Have you ever been married?" "Do you have any children?" Because uh, I don't I don't think that growing up we ever really thought about these questions for our characters, or at least I didn't. Uh, and when players give me that stuff, uh, then I have things to uh to manipulate mm-hmm. and uh so and that's exciting because uh in a story i think that you're always really interested in uh you, you might you probably don't remember all the fights that you had mm-hmm. you probably only remember a couple of the high moments of the of the big ones right but you always remember what happened next what happened to your character what the, your character's story was so uh, I like, I love watching people struggle with, uh, like moral dilemmas or things that would be maybe against their character. Cause that's mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. defines character in fiction. Right. I say the, fir- you know, my first thing is, uh, is making a, an adventure about the characters instead right. of about like, uh, a really story. About- yeah. Yeah. My, my epic yarn that I want to tell. Indeed. Indeed. Um, and kind of dovetailing onto that, I'd say that uh, that uh, making good NPCs is uh, essential to that uh, to that character um, to that number one point about about uh, focusing on your characters and making adventures about your characters or adventures that your characters are interested in going on because uh, NPCs are the uh, are the are really going to be the motivators in that in that world right. that everyone's involved in, and right. uh, I think that. I find a lot of times that when I'm when I'm creating an adventure, I might have a great idea, like uh, you know, I might have a more D and D esque idea, like there's a ruin or there's a monster, and I just can't really make it work. It seems static and flat to me. Like they're going to go to this place and fight this thing, mm-hmm. and then I notice that if I write down a list of NPCs, the more NPCs I I have written down, and the more uh, different characters and motivations that the more fodder that I have in the adventure to improvise with. Cause it, cause the, the NPCs are all like my avatar into the world. Sure. So, uh, if I have a whole bunch of different points of view and cool NPCs that can, uh, they can push those characters and drive those characters, um, or support those characters when they need it. Then I feel like I have a lot more control over the adventure, even though it really is just adding more improvisation. Right. Yeah. I've got, I've got a few questions that I'll, we'll, 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 I'll ask later about NPCs and, and building stories from NPCs and things like that. And what's your, what's your third tip? My third is that, um, is that in an adventure, when you're planning out an adventure, three things should happen. Uh, and you, uh, I would, I would decide what I want to kind of leave the characters with at the end of the adventure in mm-hmm. general. Then I would go, I'll talk about this more in a minute, but I, I then think about, where the adventure begins and, and and have it try to be sort of the opposite of where it ends and then look for something in the middle that 
moves you from one point to another. Uh, and, and, and keep it down to three. Mm-hmm. Because if you think of an adventure in three parts, which is really beginning, middle, and end, then you are, I think you're about 90% there. Mm. A lot of times I, when I was you know, trying to create adventures um, through for years, I was just, you know, kind of just trusting my luck and throwing things out and seeing what worked. Mm-hmm. But now every time I make a session, I go, how does it end? Okay, what's the opposite of that? Right. That's the right. beginning. And then the hard part is saying, what, where can I find a, a place in the middle there where that can change? What element might help move this from one state of affairs to a, to another. Can you can you give an example of those three things? Sure. I I, I kind of I certainly get the first one. Sure. Um. The 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 second one. Yeah. I I I think I get that one too. The the hard part of kind of defining that middle. I, it, I could use some help with. So I'm I'm just spitballing here. But sure. Let's say uh, I I you know you're you're in my campaign and you guys have had you guys are feeling pretty good. You've had a lot of victories lately, and you feel like things are going your way. And I know that uh, in the story, it's not going to be that interesting if something crazy doesn't happen. So I'm going to say that I want to end the session with a kind of um, I don't know end of. Fellowship of the Ring kind of feel like some like like uh, I want to leave the characters in in darkness mm-hmm. like like uh, Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back, yeah. great great example. So let's say uh, someone gets ki- so let's say I want to have somebody get kidnapped, and if not kidnapped, I will go so far as to kill that character, not not character NPC. Let's right. say right, uh, and um, so I know that that is how I want to end that adventure. I want that to be a real. I'll choose somebody really important, somebody that uh, you know in a George Martin esque way, where you're like, Uh-oh. I can't believe they killed that person, or what, or or if we don't save that person, they're dead, they're dead immediately, uh, or you know, or like like you said, Empire Strikes Back, Han Solo is gone, he's frozen in carbonite, mm-hmm. he's off to the gangsters. Right. So uh, I'll say, I'll say, all right, well that's where I want to leave it, and I'll probably ha- I'll from playing the campaign, I'll probably have an idea as to how that's going to happen. Like I'll know some of the bad guys in the campaign that might be able to make that happen. Um, now I'll think about, well, uh, let's start the, the adventure with something really easy and have the characters score a major victory. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say my first encounter is going to be like, uh, maybe minions of that, of that villain or, Maybe somebody that they've been after for a long time that they can uh, that they have a really easy time defeating, mm-hmm. and so they start. And then I start out the adventure with this encounter where they uh, where they score a major vic- victory or maybe get a major piece of intelligence. They learn where you know the, you know the, the secret to the bad to the evil one's power or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I let them enjoy that. Right. Um, I let them say, I let them, uh, and then lead them on to a path of like, you know, you're learning more and more. You are, uh, you know, you're getting better, getting better and better closer to defeating this guy. And I know that at the end, I'm going to try to make a big move against them and I'm going to try to push their, you know, going to try to make them overconfident. And so the hard part is now saying, what is the event that I can introduce in the middle of the adventure that will start to make things go for the worse? Mm -hmm. That's the hard part because I have to figure. I have to say, uh, all right, I'm going to have this. You know, this. Dip, let's say it's a diplomat who's their best friend, who's their one great representative, is going to get killed or kidnapped at the end of the adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I say, um, at the beginning of the adventure, I've established that, they, that they've defeated one of the major bad guys. Maybe uh, that 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 guy they defeated at the beginning has a henchman or um, a consort or a wife or a. Uh, or someone who's going to be instantly jealous and want vengeance on the PCs in the middle, mm-hmm. and have his spy network go out and start gathering information about them. So I'm maybe I'll have uh, have them uh, meet some people like a dishonest innkeeper or uh, somebody who's gonna uh, who's gonna uh, take from them, take information from them, pass it on to the enemy, so that by the time they get to the end. Uh, you know that this the this event can happen, or this I can leave them with this feeling that they have been, um, you know, that that they that that things are going to be bad for a while. Right. That is kind of a terrible example because we're talking about a campaign that we're not playing with characters that I'm making up. Sure. <laughs> right, 
but but the idea is to in your own campaign, uh, you know, look look for an effect or a mood mm-hmm. that that you wanna that you wanna conclude with. Right. Then try and find what the opposite of that of that is, and then tr- find a find a point in the middle. At where you can introduce a factor, like an encounter or a factor in the middle that will change from one state of affairs to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I know that's a very um, this kind of ambiguous thing. A question I have about terminology, um, and I, I, I'm, I would bet that this one is a, a, a topic of debate that has probably raged for a long time, but how do we even really define an adventure as being different than you know, a night, an evening of... of you know, an evening of, of D and D or a campaign, or even, you know, as we were, we were talking about before we started recording a, um, uh, a mini campaign, you know, how do you, how do you kind of define an adventure? What's your, what's your definition of an adventure? Is it one night? Uh, I think that an adventure can be, can go multiple nights, uh, you know, because you've got like right now I'm running, running modules and I think a whole module is an adventure. Right. Uh, I think that you can have small adventures within a night, but I think an adventure can be uh, it can be any length. But I would hesitate to say that it would be more than. Uh, boy, that is hard to define. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we, I was going to say, you know, it shouldn't really go more than a season. Uh, but you, you just you kind of have to know how to divide it up. I like right. to look at. I like to look at. Uh, television shows like like Battlestar Galactica and sure. Lost, yeah. say, you know, like 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 let's look at Battlestar Galactica and um, can we you know, can we look at it before the boxing episode? You know, I uh, the second time I saw that episode, I loved it. Really, every time since. But uh, it's um, yeah, the first time I was like, what was that about? I, I I liked it when I didn't know what was coming after it. Right, right. Uh, but at, at any rate, um, you know, you've got you've got. A lot of uh, episodes in that show that are that are one-offs, right? Like within, Scar, like Scar, yeah. Within the general uh, story, but then you've got like the whole Pegasus arc, and that's right. like that's how many episodes until that's sort of done with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it like something like four episodes? You've got you got about four episodes. Well, yeah, from the time that Pegasus shows up to the time it, it's destroyed is is I think a pretty good ways. Right, but um, got, but, got, but the whole episode where they have the Pegasus versus Galactic, I think, was two. It was two, and then you have two more where they sort of are. Uh, they go after the resurrection ship, I believe. Yeah, and, right. Uh, some other stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, at any rate, you you know that that's a that's an I, adventure. I'm thinking of that as adventure, or like when they go down to Cobol right. and they're running around there. They, that's like that's like four episodes or so. That's like an adventure. But then you've got your. Uh, you've got your one or two shots as well. Right. I, mean, I think th- I really think that that's analogous to D and D. So kind of kind of like a movie, you know, or or a TV show in a movie. It could be, you know, maybe even a short season of a of a of a show. Yeah, yeah. I, think I guess it would kind of be defined by the arc. Like you know, there's as you said, there is a clear there's a clear end that you might have in mind. Whether even if that end might be a cliffhanger, it is still an end. You know, there's still a, a moment that has a a, a a bookmark on it. Yeah, that kind yeah, of defines it, that particular set, and then a series of those together would be a campaign. Indeed, indeed, we've been looking at our our uh, our campaigns as um, as seasons for a mm-hmm. couple of years now. Where where I know that we're going to play from September to April. Mm-hmm. And probably take a break in December. Mm-hmm. And so I look at the I look at the season that way. I say, well, what do I want? To, what themes do I want to bring out in the season? And kind of how do I want it to how do I want it to end? Essentially, how do I want it to begin? And what sort of stuff happens in the middle? Right. So right. so in in our Strongwood campaign, which was our uh, you know our fourth edition game, we. The, in the first few months, we dealt with, uh, like in the first couple of adventures, we dealt with a riot in the Tanner's Guild and all the stuff that was going on in the Tanner's Guild. And that took, um, I think that took two or three, maybe four sessions. Mm-hmm. And that, I would say, is an adventure because they dealt with this stuff with the Tanner's Guild. Right. They find out that, uh, oh, there are um, Lincolnthropes infiltrating the Tanner's Guild and they are from the Feywild and uh, and 
and uh, they, you know, and they hook into an ancient myth there that's bigger than, you know, that's more like the major arc to the campaign. And then they, you know, then they eventually cross over into the Feywild, and that's another, you know, series of of uh, adventures that uh, another series of sessions that uh, that are, I would say, a whole adventure. And within there, within those, there are like one, you know, a couple diversions where it's just like one night is encapsulated by itself or two. Right. Right. Um, getting to, you know, I, I think your, your three tips are great and we could, we could probably just dissect each of those three tips for a whole hour. Oh, sure. Um, so I'll probably not try to do all of that, but I, I do have, it did spawn a couple of questions that I have. Um, when you talked about having the, having the story re- really be about the characters and, and the interviews that you do to try to understand the characters, if you have players who tend to think of their characters more as a sheet full of stats, how can you draw how can you draw more of a story out of them that is enjoyable to them? You know, how, how is, are, are there, are there ways that you've seen to try to, you know, elicit that story that they, that they have? Yeah. I, I tend to just ask those guys quest, keep asking them questions. Um, because I, in my experience anyway, uh, most of those guys that I play with that, that, you know, who are, their characters are more about sheets full of stats they they mostly just uh, haven't either haven't had the opportunity to play a different way or mm-hmm. aren't used to playing a different way and just assume that this is the way that they're going to play D anD D. Right. But, but if you ask people about their character, I always find that that gets it, it's like a um, that gets the juices flowing and that gets a brainstorm going and they want to invest in in that mm-hmm. because it is about them. Right. Right. You know, uh, and so I, I feel like I'm just it starts prompt- to come about as the more you draw it from them. Yeah, I feel like I'm just prompting the, their minds to to go there, and right. then once they have that there, they want to do it. And the other thing I think is about rewarding those choices that they make. Uh, one thing I talked about in the interview with Dave was uh, I had a a DM who was amazing uh, many years ago named Mike Kushiak. Mm-hmm. And what Mike would do is, uh, I played. We were playing an alternative game, and I was a guy. I decided I wanted to be kind of like a chess master, and uh, like in a human combat chess sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so when I was when I was in battle, he would describe how you know my chess master eye targeted the most uh, you know relevant target, the biggest guy. I was always looking for the optimal opportunity, and he and then when he would talk about somebody else he would describe things from that their character's point of view because he understood our characters so he always described things as they would be important to us mm-hmm. and so if you if if you tell me about your you know your guy with an 18 strength and you, his great axe and his <laughs> you know and it's a typical brutal kind of, brutal two great axe yeah, his brutal two great acts. Then I will. Um, then then I'll, I'll, when I'm DMing, I'll say, uh, you know, if he if he's a barbarian guy, I'll say, you know, you I'll be talk I'll be narrating as yeah. the Baron, maybe right. right? Talking to the other PCs, and then I'll say, I'll say, uh, Gorstag, you look around the hall, and uh, all of these you see all, all these tapestries, all these riches. Where are the furs? Where are the half-naked women <laughs> sitting around the campfire? Where are the drums? You see minstrels and hoes with, you know, with uh, with lutes, <laughs> this delicate music, and nothing here is nothing here is as it was. Where is the where is the stink of the raw meat? And usually the character, you know, the player at that starts to get drawn in. He'll say he'll say uh, you know, enough talk, right. <laughs> you know, or or whatever. He'll he'll it will engage that that player and they'll feel like they want to participate because because I've just showed them that I'm listening to what they're they're putting out there. Mm-hmm. Um in improv you you um you know they the first rule of improv is always say yes but if you or yes and so if a so if a player says this is my character and they show you a bunch of stats then I want to take those stats and make them real within the world and engage the player that way so that they are encouraged to participate in that way. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I want to talk more about uh, acting in, acting in D&D. Okay. In a bit. Um, you know, I always love it when people have an absolutely unique 
combination of, of desires and skills that, that, you know, I think my last podcast, I talked to a psychologist about running the DM table. Oh, wow. Which was excellent. Yeah. The DM is Michael, Michael Mellon is his name. He's great. I will have to go back. And yeah. It's fantastic. Um, how do you get so so that that's a great way to to draw people into their PCs and I even you know I was just thinking when you said the axe you know that even a simple question like well what's your axe's name yeah you know, could just starts to get them to think about it oh well I don't know it's brutal too you know, well, maybe, maybe say, that's what I'm going to call it because brutal one got destroyed when I hit an ogre in the head sure and um, I'll say, I'll say well where did you get it exactly yeah or, or I'll, what does or it look I'll, like with who did you kill to get it yeah, or, or yeah. whatever I'll sort of direct that. Yeah, which is always interesting. Have you played much of the the 4E version of Gamma World? Uh, a little bit. Um, one of the things I liked the, very much about that system was uh, that weapons were um, very abstract. They just said it's a two-hand strength, you know, two-hand heavy weapon or a two-hand light weapon. Or a, oh, right. And they didn't say what it was. And you really had to kind of decide, well, I don't know, it's a telephone pole that I stuck a, you know, a bunch of of you know railroad spikes into and you're like that's awesome right now it's now it's a real thing and like the, yes. stats, the stats are the same regardless of whether it's a telephone pole or a car bumper but either way it's a two-hand weapon you know absolutely so i i, I miss that and it, it you know it, I'd, I'd love to see kind of more of that in the games that i play and, I, and I, there's really nothing to stop you from saying well describe the long sword that you have or what is there, yeah you know, what is your axe where did it come from what does it look like you know what is that what was the haft made out of you know what kind of metal it's just to get people to think outside of the, you know, little line of little line of stats that exist in the player's handbook. And you can always get a story out of that. Like sure. I'll yeah. usually push I'll, you know, start out with those little questions and then get, you know, and usually the player makes mm -hmm. that discovery or you two make it together. Right, right. And then you have to capture that. And the 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 key thing that you brought in, which I'm kinda of terrible at, is um when I'll elicit stories from players and then not pay attention to them, <laughs> which is probably a horrible, <laughs> the horrible side. Of it. It's like they are giving you a story. Like, whatever, I got battles to run. I don't have time to think about your story. I can barely remember. I've got interrupts to take care of. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's something I got to. I got to do better. I had a player last night. who's like, hey, I sent you a whole Baxter to read. I'm like, nah, I got lost in email. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. I'm a terrible DM. It happens. It um, happens. How do you get them to care about NPCs? Like they, now they care about themselves, but you, you brought up in your example of an NPC that the, that the players, um, um, you know, that the players uh, um, uh, uh, that they care about, you know, somebody that got kidnapped or sure, turned sure. into, you know, got encased in carbonite or whatever. And sure. they, they need to feel that. Yes. How do you, how do you, try to create an NPC that they're, that they're really going to feel like mine, mine immediately gets some kind of joke name. Like, you know, well, uh, yeah. so here's, here's what I'm doing right now. Like, uh, I could probably find a better example if I thought, but I'll just tell you what I'm doing right now. Cause I remember that cause it happened the other day. Uh, the, uh, there's, um, I'm running AD and D old school AD and D adventures because after I played D and D next at, uh, D and D XP, I was like, uh, this played like AD and D and I really want to go back and experience these adventures that I never owned and people talk about. Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm doing that for as our like little short, a short campaign series. And, uh, one of the ones that my cousin used to have was the assassins not, hmm. which I picked up and, you know, out of nostalgia and I, I've been running a combination of L that's L2. I've been running a combination of L1, the secret of bone Hill hmm. and uh, B1 in search of adventure. And I inserted in search of adventure inside the little weird mini campaign. This is weird. If you ever read L1, it's actually like a Nentir Vale esque setting with a little adventure on it. It's, and it was published in like, I think 81. So it, this is, it's really weirdly obsessive in detail. Um, but at any rate, I'm reading these adventures and I'm thinking, well, how am I going to, I want to link these together and make them make this into a campaign, not just to run old AD&D adventures, but to kind of, you know, move, have a story happen here. And so I'm reading, I'm reading L2, reading ahead. And, and uh, I, I know that in L1, there's uh, the, the guy in charge is Baron Grellis, Baron Grellis of Restonford. He's like the Baron of the town. Right. And I'm like, you know, he's the cool guy. He's in charge. I'm going to have him, you know, the, you know, the, the characters will have to look up to him. He's the ruler. And I open up L2 and it says, Baron Grellis of Rustenford has been murdered. <laughs> I was like, what? What? <laughs> what? Re no. 
And and I said, well, so what needs to happen then is he was going to be a distant figure because in the module in L1, he's he's defined as a distant figure. And I was like, no, he needs to be the guy that that loves the the PCs no matter what they do. Hmm. So they don't know Assassin's Thought. They haven't read it. So from the first session, uh, one of the characters is like, I want to kind of be a diplomat. I'm like, great. You are you're an elf. You're a diplomat to Baron Grellis. And Mm -hmm. he he trusts you more than anybody. Mm. So, so uh, in the past few sessions, and especially uh, on Tuesday's game, uh, they they decided to make a deal with the orcs of the hills, which live near Restonford, which normally would be a terrible, terrible idea. You know, nobody wants to <laughs> an orcs to get together and have an alliance and let orcs move into their territory. Um, but I I was like, uh, okay, sure, you know that's. Uh, you know the 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 Baron. He, I have him. I had him role played it out. He mulled it over. He said, "You know, it's a. It's not going to be a popular decision. It's mm. to be. It's and it's going to ca- make a lot of people around here angry. But um. But you know what? We need to unite against all these barbarians and and gnolls and and bugbears that are that are around here. I have all these troubles on my shoulders, and you're right. You did the right thing. And so he. If I make him. If I make him endeared to the PCs and and they already are on Tuesday I got it on Wednesday I got an email saying last night was really fun I really enjoyed role playing with the Baron hmm. I, I'm sending them away for, he says I want you to go and go to Argenta and talk to uh, and find out what happened to the princess because I'm going to take him to Palace on the Silver Princess when they get back to Restonford that fracking Baron is going to be dead oh. and they're go- and they're going to and and when I and I've read you know all the reasons in the module why he's murdered but the primary reason is one of the primary reasons now is going to be because he agreed to make an alliance with orcs. Oh, so it's their fault. <laughs> so, so that's that's how you do it. You, uh, you, you just say, uh, you know, who, who can you, you, you just, that's what I mean, I guess, by going, you know, decide the effect, you know, your third, your third act, just figure out the opposite of that and then figure right. out the thing that happens in the middle. <laughs> and that's the thing where I'm like, uh, I'm going to really, hit them with when because they're going to come back from their mission expecting you know to be rewarded and i'm sure they will be but they're going to come back to find out that the one guy who was batting for them who thought all their ideas were great and who honored them has been murdered and right. then we're going to run the assassins not right, <laughs> right. going to be motivated to play that adventure because they like the baron man i wish i'd started guard more abbey differently <laughs> well, that's, that's my long answer to the question yeah. all my answers are long no these are good this is what it's for <laughs> Um, I'm just going through my list of questions, but some of them are boring compared to what we've been talking about. Um, so how, I mean, we've already talked a lot about this, but it sounds, it sounds like, um, you, you, you really let the story get driven by the PCs and their backgrounds and the NPCs. Do you have, you know, how do you... How do you tie all those things together into a story, right? Most most people, I think, when they sit down to think about an adventure, they kind of outline the adventure. You know, this is this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. Um, but it sounds like when you drive it, and and from reading Gardmore Abbey, you know, Gardmore Abbey is very much this way. Um, how do you let the NPCs and the PCs drive the story forward? Well, I would I would um, put down a you know, I was talking about deciding the three things happen in an adventure. Right. So I kind of have uh, an idea of the general things that I want to sort of go on. Right. And I develop around there enough so that if it goes off that track, then I still have created enough adventure that they can go anywhere they w- If they wander off, I'm not going to be really stuck. And one of the ways that I was telling, talking about NPCs earlier, one of the ways you do that is NPCs. Because if they go really far off, at least I've got somebody in the story, not necessarily to pull them back, but uh, I've already developed other... If they go, they go we're going to go in this complete opposite direction, I have people... Kind that of bring it back on track. Or, or just... Um, it's hard to explain, but if I develop a lot of NPCs with a lot of different motivations, if they go in a different direction... I can accommodate that probably with something that I've accidentally come up with. Right, right. You know what I mean? You just you're writing down uh, like um, oh shoot, 
try to think of a really good example of this. Um, all right. Uh, I, I went and I went. Here's a here's a tangent from the old days, from second edition. Mm-hmm. I made an adventure where uh, I guess I just wanted the PCs to. Um, I think I wanted them to go inside of a snow globe. That's what I wanted to do. I had some mm-hmm. dumb idea where I wanted them to go inside of a snow globe in the School of Magic, in the dean's office. He had a snow globe on his desk, and that's where he kept his bad students. <laughs> and, when, and, and they had to, the, his bad students had to figure out how to get through the snow globe, and inside the snow globe was a small world. Right. Um, so I, my girlfriend was playing at the time, and she was an elf who had no money, and she was like the last, uh, one of the last of the elves. They're all dying in my world. That's how I like it. <laughs> And, uh, Brutal. She, she was dancing on the street for for money, and one of the other PCs was playing uh, a, a lute for her, or a, a recorder for her. And she and the the drunken dean of the school, who he was drunk on a, a potion that one of his students pranked him with, um, started dancing with her, and she refused him. So he teleported her into the snow globe and teleported the other guy into the snow globe. And that's how I set up the adventure. And the adventure was get out of the snow globe. Mm-hmm. That was it. Um, so, uh, during the course of this thing, they didn't really want to do that. They were like, uh, we don't really know how to get out of here, but let's see if we can break the glass. And they, you know, rolled really well, surprisingly, ridiculously well. And so I said, all right, you broke the glass, but now you're miniaturized because you didn't do the thing that would make the magic work to make you really big. So I figured that they'll just go around the lab for a while and try to, you know, find some solution to it. And I had written out what was in his lab, and in one part of his lab was a, a closet that teleported to different places in the world, most of which I hadn't developed. Mm-hmm. And so they decided to go over there, and, and they didn't really know what it did, so they pushed a button and went in, and I went rolled to see which place they went to, and they went to a pirate-plagued port on the opposite side of the world. Hmm. Okay, now... Uh, I was talking about having developed stuff, about having developed extra stuff. Uh, I had I had written down notes on you know this pirate plagued port. I knew it existed, and I wrote I had written down some of the major people that lived there. But I had this was a totally separate thing from the adventure. The adventure was go in the snow snow globe and get out. And uh, they they so. But what was I to do? I didn't want to tell them no. Your effort to break the snow globe didn't work, even though you rolled really well. And no, even though you went into this teleporting closet that I know that the dean has in the school, you can't actually teleport. So they were miniaturized to the side of the D6 halfway across the world <laughs> in uh, a pirate-plagued port where there was a war going on between the pirates and the and the uh, and the the, the king of, of the island. And so th- through so thus began an improvised adventure where they had to act as spies. Uh, they rode on the backs of pigeons and <laughs> pirates to try to pull a heist against the king. And then, after a, you know, after they completed this, the pirates eventually sailed them back to the uh, you know sailed them back to the mainland. And it took months. And it was you know a completely unexpected thing, but it happened because I had written down some NPCs that existed in this other place, and I sort of developed this area. And that's what I mean by, like, uh, I, I had a structure for that adventure. They went in an opposite direction, but I had enough fuel to completely uh, do something uh, something that was complete, that was totally different. And I was flying by my se- the seat of my pants. The whole- I had no idea what was going to happen. And uh, it, it inspired a kind of madness in me and the players where, you know, they're blowing up ships and riding carrier pigeons and hanging out with pirates. And it was a one-session game, but it was like... Uh, you know, I just had the had the ammo right there, if you know what I mean. Sure. Interesting anecdote. Uh, Piper Parabo. So this this pirate plagued port was uh, developed because for costume class in theater we had to do a uh, we had to pick a theme for Cinderella, and I decided to set mine in um, in uh, pirate Cinderella. Oh, That's great. And uh, another girl in that class, uh, my class was uh, Piper Parabo, mm-hmm. who you might know from uh, uh, Coyote Ugly and cheaper by the dozen and she was in the uh i wouldn't know coyote ugly but the prestige with uh huge anyway she's an 
Cool. Anyway, let's let's talk about acting. Let's. So what um what are some of the uh what are some of the tips that you have picked up from acting that have helped you in D&D that DMs might be able to capitalize on? Uh well, I would say uh, the best things that I've learned are uh in that are through improv I learned to always yes and things to always say yes right uh and that was like like the example that i just gave with the with the pirate play with the snow globe thing it's like you know they did the they did the right stuff they came up with a better solution i if i said no eh. mm-hmm. um yeah i've heard back- that i've heard that from a number of dms that talk about that i haven't heard it attributed to um to to uh, uh ad lib ad lib kind of stuff but i have heard it from um, other DMs that have said, you know, always, always try to find a way to say yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the most powerful thing and it's very scary at first because mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to happen and you just have to sort of swallow and accept your fear of failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had an improv teacher, uh, Susan Messing, who used to say, um, she used to say, uh, she, she used to, she'd go fuck them if they can't take a joke. Just she'd go go everything, <laughs> and she would just repeat that mantra. And she'd say, um, she'd say, you know, people are afraid of doing stuff on stage. They're afraid of failure. Mm-hmm. And if you go on stage and something, you know, an improv, and and people laugh at you, mm-hmm. that would be so terrible, wouldn't it? Because <laughs> people are laughing at you on an improv stage. They're all so, gonna laugh at you. Yeah, you know, it's not. It's uh, you know, it, who cares. Yeah, don't, it's not something to worry about. I'm I'm anxious. I feel like I'm anxious every time I DM, even even up to having done it for a long time. But still, you know, usually it's your friends. You're still going to be friends afterward. Um, and I think especially if you keep a clear uh, channel of communication open, and you can talk about the game. Then you can just sort of find out what works. But I'm getting I'm getting off there. Uh, saying yes and letting people do. Letting people try things is is huge, right? Uh, and that's that's an improv thing. Another thing that that that's also huge is uh, finding the vulnerability in your character, mm-hmm. whether it's the character that you're playing or whether it's an NPC. Everybody, every character should have some vulnerability. And most players that I know don't create their characters. I don't mean like a you know magic arrow that can kill you. I mean that. Uh, uh, like um, that you are uh, I'm, tr- I'm thinking of a bunch of characters now at once uh, that, that you were kicked out of your tribe mm-hmm. so every time people talk about that or every time that comes up that's going to really affect you uh, I have, and I have players who don't really come up with vulnerabilities on their own and so I have to try to I have to try to push for them to give me something. Uh, hmm. If you have if you have something that can affect your character emotionally, mm-hmm. then you have fuel for story. lot of us that are going to do it really well and i think that we are worse critics than mm-hmm. we are we you know we're our own worst yeah. critics, when it when it comes down to it it's six people sitting around a table having fun how bad is it really going to be yeah and, <laughs> yeah yeah and uh and you you know you just i stumble over my own dialogue all the time and my own descriptions all the time i just uh and I, sometimes i i can step back a little bit and look at what's happening and see that the, the players are all really wrapped and they're not noticing all this stuff that I'm noticing that I'm doing terribly. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, I did have a guy, um, who was a new player come in a few weeks ago and, and, uh, he would call out stuff that I would say, he'd say like, he, <laughs> like I was going through B1 and I would say like, uh, I would just be reading the description from the module or, or going over it. And then I would, and then I would say, and in front of you are, three you know horrific undead creatures ripping the flesh from the bones and you know on the floor and he would say like oh so i noticed that after i noticed all the tapestry yeah right i get a lot of that and well you know (laughs) and and for him i stopped he'd done this about three or four times and i stopped and i said 
why I stopped the game and I said, why are you asking me that question? <laughs> and everyone looked at him and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And it's like uh, he was be and, and essentially he was being a jerk. Mm-hmm. And it's a, uh, I think that if that sort of thing is happening, it's just a, maybe a time to go to the group and just be like, hey, let's try to invest more. I really want to I want to bring in a level of investment to this game where we're all we don't have to be serious all the time. But, you know, let's try to really get on board with uh, mm-hmm. with some storytelling and just see how it goes. Right. Right. Sometimes yeah. you just need to sort of meta it and go outside of things and, and have that conversation with people. Sure. I know. Sure. And different games and different game systems, obviously, will have different levels of, of investment in story, vice investment in other things, too, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some indie games are like Fiasco is pretty filthy. Yeah, Fiasco is, Fiasco is, I mean, it's probably, if, you know, if you have D&D 4E on one side, Fiasco is that opposite side. And, uh, or at least, you know, from what I know, next to. No, I mean, it really can be, but I think, I think you can do that. But combining the two really is cool. Yeah, yeah, I think that we play in a lot. It's not it, the interesting thing about Fiasco is Fiasco is a long form improvisation disguised as a role playing game. Right. right. Long form with dice, yeah. With dice, yeah. And so I think you can play 4E like that. Not not in the not in the not in the like Laron format where you're going around character to character, mm-hmm. but you can in, bring that level of invest there's nothing preventing anybody from bringing that level of investment to D&D. Mhm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there really isn't. I wonder if Fiasco would be a good way to kind of break people into that into that sort of concept if they're not used to it, if they're used to playing traditional role playing games, having just run an hour of Fiasco or whatever. I really think so. Fiasco, uh, Kagamatsu is another great indie game where you're mm-hmm. where if there's a woman in the group, she's playing the Ronin, and all the men are playing the women of the village, hmm. uh, and you're trying to <laughs> you're trying to get Kagamatsu to help you. What if you have two women? I mean, it's. It's not a set rule, but that's yeah. the suggestion in the game. Huh. And they would decide which one is Kagamatsu. That's interesting. Yeah, my, yeah. My, my, my regular group has two women in it. So they'd have to fight over it or something. They Or play two games. Yeah, or play two games. Um, so getting into the, kind of the nuts and bolts of adventure. I'm, I'm, I'm a big nuts and bolts guy. I love to hear, you know, I, I keep bringing up, you know, my favorite my my favorite quote um oh god what was the name of the artist who said you know critics love to get together and describe form and use of color and theme and artists want to get together and talk about where the cheapest place to buy turpentine you know where's the cheapest place to buy turpentine yeah and i I always like to talk about turpentine yeah um so you know when we're when we're building adventures i you know I, i get a feeling that a lot of people do different things when they are building adventures and spending time in different places. And um, I've always been interested in where I spend my own time and where that time becomes well invested. You know, where 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 am I spending time where it's completely wasted? And where am I spending time that, you know, where there's a great amount of impact? You know, there's a great efficiency that takes place. So uh, in your mind, when you're building an adventure or when you're, you're recommending, you're talking to people about how to build adventures or when you're, you know, from what you're thinking about with, both published adventures like Ardmore Abbey and and uh, or or you know adventures that you're completely coming up with on your own. Where where do you start, and where do you start to and where where should you generally put your energy? Well, uh, and what, it, we're assuming you know D and D D adventures. Sure, sure, yeah. If I'm doing uh, my homebrew games, I'll st- I'll go back to that three things happen sure. thing and and create a lot of NPCs, um, and I will not waste. Are the, I won't spend a lot of time on mechanics because, uh, you know, like making up the, the, the ultimate trap or the ultimate monster because its life in the game isn't going to be that much and the players aren't going to feel the effect of it that much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, if I'm working on a published thing, obviously that's where I spend a lot of my time because that's what I have, you know, that's what you, what you need is you need those stats to give to people so that they can simulate that, uh, that encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, those are two very different, uh, very different, co- almost completely different things. Um, the home, the homebrew experience that's tailored toward the specific characters and you can really make a story happen. Mm-hmm. And then the published adventure where you can do your best to like, I can do my best to make it story focused, but really I'm, I'm tr- just sort of trusting my luck that it's going to go that way. Right. Uh, so 
so in terms of like wasting time, what, what, uh, what are, I'm going to put the question back to you. What are some things that you found that you are waste that you feel are wasting time in your own creation of adventures? Well, so there's a few things that I've kind of stopped, stopped doing. Um, one of them is I've stopped building new monsters. Yes. Uh, I think that, you know, with that mechanics bucket. Yeah, right. Fine. With fine publications like the Monster Manual 3 and Monster Vault Threats to the Interior Veil. I don't, you know, you got paid to make those monsters. Why would I do it for free? Exactly. You know, (laughs) I can, I would rather, and and there was, you know, thousands of other people who edited those and play tested those before they were published. So, well, tens. Um, (sighs) So, you know, but, but, Time, uh, more than one person's time went into designing something. I might as well use the thing that was well-designed rather than trying to come up with my own crazy mechanic, which is funny because building monsters can be a lot of fun. And I think yeah. people still want to do it just because they kind of want to. But I don't think it's necessarily an efficient use. And, and and sometimes maybe they're doing it because they're procrastinating on the harder stuff. Like what was, what am I, what, did, you know, what's the story of the PCs and how can I do more with that? It's like, it's easier to figure out what interrupt a dragon should have. Yeah. It's easy to reskin or just tweak something. Yeah. So, right. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of reskinning. I'm a huge fan of, of, uh, you know, upping and downing levels. Um, I think that you can really do some crazy reskins that work well. My favorite, you know, I wrote an article about reskinning a white dragon into a cyborg ninja in uh, Gamma World, and it worked perfectly. So, you know, yeah, and reskinning, you can you can just do it, right? I mean, I just carry around a copy of the Monster Vault, and I just open it up to a monster, and I pick it, and I convert it if I need it. And if not, I just run it straight. Exactly. So that that's my whole answer to that question about wasting time. Is like is is is. If you want is, you know, I think that if people spend a lot of time doing that stuff for every adventure and really trying to come up with new mechanics when uh, like sometimes people will be like, hey, I came up with a new magic system for whatever. Or I, it, I it's just I, 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 why? Just, <laughs> well, I just think, you know, why don't you just take the what's there and just kind of you just sort of alter what's there. Right. Yeah. Uh, and if you really enjoy it, then absolutely, you know, mm-hmm. I don't get in the way of what you enjoy but you know it's it, it just seems to me that you know you could be putting that time elsewhere yeah exactly um the other thing that I, I find where i tend to be wasting my or i wasted more time is in world building um i don't you know a lot of times i want to you know if the, the pcs are going to see a particular section of the world and coming up with you know a tolkien-esque you know, 10,000 year history of, of the world and all these great wars of the past and all these empires and all these, you know, the, the great kingdoms and the struggles of the lords of the kingdoms and the ancient evils that were buried and the, you know, the, the nine different Balrog lords, you know, and it's like, you know, people just want to see Bilbo, man. Yeah. They don't just, what what's up with Bilbo, right? Like, Maybe, you know, when Bilbo sees the troll statues, that's when it's time to wonder how the troll statues got there. But, you know, not before. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and when I when I began my uh, my big 20 year campaign, I was like um, I was coming off of DMing Forgotten Realms in, in college where I thought that everything really needed to be to be huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I had this just. Uh, revelation where I was like, you know, I don't want, I don't want to know about the rest of the world because I want to know because the story is going to change as things go along. So for that campaign, I started with a, a small keep and a village surrounded by woods. Right. <laughs> from there, the story, you know, the the world grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for Star Frontiers last fall, when we st- when we began that, I said. Uh, all right, we're going to play Star Frontiers. They, the player said, "What's your concept?" And I said, "What do you want to do?" And right. and you know, and then one one guy said, "I think there should be a race called the Sethi that are like empathic and they're tall and blue and they are more advanced than humanity." And uh, I said, "Great, yeah, all right, let's write that down." <laughs> so so starting small like that and and just expanding as things happen mm-hmm. organically, I I agree with you. I think that's. Um, a better way to world build unless you really like well sure pleasure yeah right exactly i think and and but but there's also there's an interesting you know kind of t- idea in there too which is 
yeah, if you if you're getting enjoyment from it, go do it. You know, go with God and enjoy, you know, sit down and build out, you know, fill moleskin after moleskin after moleskin filled with <laughs> world details. Yeah. But um but don't think you're necessarily helping your game. <laughs> right? Right, that right. you could get trapped thinking, oh, I'm building this world and it's going to be out. And then you get the disappointment of sitting down at your table and they're like, oh, you know, where are the orcs? You know, I just like to fight five orcs, please. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and you're like, well, what about the empire of whatever? And you're like, I don't know. I'm not paying attention. Yeah. I mean, it's a humbling experience. I know Dave was talking to uh, the fellow that runs Obsidian Portal and the guy said, you know, don't assume your players are going to come and read your wiki about, you know, your giant world. They don't care. You know, like that's the number no, one rule. It's too much. It's just too much. Yeah, it can be, you know, and, and, uh, and that's why, again, I want to go back to where did you grow up? Who were your parents? Right, right. They do. What have you done? What, what, what's your vulnerability? What has happened to you in your life that, you know, because that's putting all that stuff on the player, and and then and that's how I tend to world build is mm-hmm. I make the players do it. I just say when when the when uh like I'm talking to my friend Greg and I said you know what where do you, he said well I'm from a I, I want to be like a a longshoreman okay I want to be like a gypsy of the sea all right uh you know what's your tribe like uh what's your um what's your vulnerability? He's like, he's like, my parents didn't get along. And when my mom left my dad, I hated her. And, and, uh, and he goes, and I, and our, and he goes, uh, I said, well, why is that? And he goes, well, uh, I said, what's your religion like? He said, well, I think the sea is like our mother. And so when my mother left, I wanted to leave the ocean. And so I wanted to go inland because our, reli- our tribe sees the land as the father. Yeah. I was like, okay. That's <laughs> cool. <right>. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's a he's a he's a crack player. He's he's great, but he that that's the um that's how the world building happens in our campaigns because you know because the players are making the characters and as they make characters the world evolves around those characters. Mm-hmm. And w- through those little interviews we make that happen and then they they create a little piece of the world every time. And that's the ammo that I have to draw from in the in the later uh creating adventures. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's 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 always great, you know. It's always great when it works out like that. I think. Oh yeah, I I I I don't want to do it any other way anymore. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, one of the other things I, I, that I personally found is really useful with um, you know, where I spend my time. This is kind of my weird my weird thing. I've been doing it with Gardmore. I've probably been doing it with one of your NPCs. Um, Which one? Oh, I, I can't say because my wife will hear. But one of the villains, I always, I, I love villains. I love to focus on villains, and there's four good villains in in Gardmore. Um, more, I mean, there's actually a few more villains in Gardmore. Um, I like to put myself to sleep thinking through their eyes. Yes. So I love to, you know, as I'm as I'm as I'm drifting off, my way of counting sheep is to you know drop into the persona of whoever the villain is and say, what am I doing? What am I thinking? You know, what am I? Uh, you know, the, the example would be like, you know, last night in my, in the very, I just started Gardmore Abbey and it's the very first thing. And they fought some orcs on the King's road that were shouting about the, um, uh, what's the name of the orc tribe. I don't know. They're shouting the name of the orc tribe, the, the, the poison runes or something like that. Um, death glyphs, death glyph orcs or something. And th- one of them got away. So then, you know, last night I thought, well, okay, so now I've got this whole other scene that the players don't see where the orc comes back and talks to the orc chief about these guys and says, wow, there's these hard calibers that just came up from Falkrest. Uh-huh. And we don't know who they are, but they're not like any of the other people we've been fighting around here. We might want to watch these guys. And what's the orc? So then I'm like, okay, and so now I'm the orc chief and I just heard that. You know, what? what's my plan going to be? Like, I'm not an idiot because I'm an orc chief. Yeah. So probably I got here because I'm strong, but also because I'm not real dumb. Yeah. So what am I going to do, you know? And that starts to spawn a whole new series of events that kind of leads back. And sometimes I will overtly throw that back to the players by emailing them a little cutscene, you know, that they don't the 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 PCs might not know, but the players can know to go, "Oh, that's interesting," you know. That's it, man. Yeah, here's his personality. Hit it right on the head. That's it. That that's, you know, the the character motivations of the NPCs reacting to the player's actions and and the players reacting to theirs that's yeah, yeah. that's it that's the story game right there yeah and the, the, the 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 story that i always bring up that that re- seemed to be one of the clearest we brought up battlestar galactica before and i love i love tv you know good good one hour drama tv shows as as a, as a source for this sort of thing but the one that always comes back to me is deadwood 
Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And the, the thing I love about Deadwood is it feels like a giant pool table. You know, the whole the whole show is a giant pool table and every character is a ball and yeah. the balls are just colliding together. And sometimes they work together to get in the pocket and sometimes they're fighting against each other and sometimes they change. And you really have no idea what the end is going to look like. And in fact, the, the ending of the show is pretty terrible. I was so angry. Yeah, because, you know, it just sort of ends. It sort of ends. But on the other hand, then it's almost like every Stephen King novel, you know, or every Stephen King novel just kind of ends <laughs> at a yeah. certain point. They don't really there's the conclusions aren't great because there wasn't they didn't necessarily do what you were talking about, which is know what the ending actually is before you start. Yeah, you and, know, and they it's just kind of said we're just we got these characters and the characters are going to crash together until there's no more left on the table or something. That and that's a thing that that I I that where I, something that I I, th- I think uh, I don't like King as much for like I, I that I really like Martin for mm-hmm. because Martin will King will he'll start with a character and he'll go and find out what the character does like you're saying about Deadwood and I think that that is a great great uh, thing to do um, mm-hmm. you know it's just that. Uh, I know that George Martin figures out uh, sort of where he wants things to go, right. and he doesn't know what how he's he knows the general area that he's going to take to get there, but he doesn't. But he still lets it be really organic, as you know, is exemplified in all of his work. But because he sort of has that effect that he's going for, you get it in the end. And if you've only read. Song of Ice and Fire, then you don't know because you haven't read the end of that. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, if you read his earlier work, if you read, oh man, I read Fever Dream last fall, and it just knocked me out. Really? And his early, his early science fiction stories, A Song for Laia, I read that a couple of years ago, and it's the my favorite short story I've ever read. Huh. Uh, the Way of Cross and Dragon. He like he, this guy, Mar- Martin is a great storyteller, and uh, and and having this um just read some of those stories and you see what i mean about where he knows where he's going he sort of develops things along the way organically but he develops toward that effect and when you hit that effect you're just like oh right right yeah so i always i always i love kind of driving you know the way i the way i story build is by the actions of npcs but i but i on that on the same side i still I still like to have an idea, and sometimes I think it's a crutch. You know, sometimes I, I I'm not sure that I need to have that ending because sometimes it doesn't actually end up there. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I think I need it just to keep me going. Like I just need it to know that I feel safe. You know, that if I if I have to end this thing, I can end this thing. And sure. you know, I did that when I was running Gloom. I did that with Dark Sun. I knew right away. I said, okay, the whole the whole story of my Dark Sun campaign is that the last. Uh, the last Templar of Calic is trying to resurrect his his the dead Sorcerer King, you know, and the party's probably going to try to stop him. So I, I had right up front, I know, okay, what the end of that mini campaign is going to be. And then I kind of let it wander and meander about as it got there. And how he ended up doing it was totally different than I expected him to do it. Um, Which is awesome. Yeah, because the party, yeah, that was because I was playtesting another article and it made sense. Um, I was like, "Hey, he's going to use the abyssal plague to do it," you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that kind of came from you know out of nowhere, but it worked, and it made sense because you know they they the part the PCs had thwarted every other attempt he, he had been working on to try to gather components in order to do it. They they had gotten all the components, and so he's like, "I need to try something else." So maybe I'll try this whole, you know, this whole void harrow kind of nasty plague stuff. Maybe that'll yeah. work, but- and, it, and it worked. Yeah, yeah, and that's really cool. Yeah, and Gloomrot was the same way. The Gloomrot, I, I kind of had an idea of what the PCs were going to go to, and eventually I, I had them, I had the players decide what that ending was. I said, okay, we have played, you know, I didn't, I don't, I didn't say it quite like this, but like we played seven or eight sessions, and it, you guys know a bunch of what's going on. What is your intent? You know, like, what are your what are your plans? And they're all like, we want to kill Prince Roland. And I'm like, OK, yep. <laughs> there's your end. <laughs> you know, oh, they're like, yep. we're not sure if we want to dethrone him or kill him, but we, we don't want him running Gloomrod anymore. And I'm like, OK, there we go. So then everything kind of led that direction. And, you know, they, they knew where they were headed and I didn't rob him of it. I didn't turn it around and turn it into bones. Oh, it turns out Prince Roland's your friend. You know, I mean, you, you can do stuff like that, but it, it gets old fast. So I just no, yeah. you're you're, you know, just like Kill Bill, right? That the plot of the movie is in the title. Yep. So yep. you don't need to make it any more complicated than that. You really don't. Yeah. You really don't. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and also, you know, I, I talk about like, you know what I keep trying to say, 
knowing the effect of the end. I, I'm just trying to, a lot of times I'm trying to go for a mood or a general event. Right. I don't want to, um, I don't want anything to be predestined. In fact, the more the players surprise me with, with what they do, the more excited I am because I, as long as they have a really good reason for it, right, you know, right. I don't want them to be chaotic and weird, but if they, uh, you know, if, if they surprise me with the way that, that things go or the dice surprise me with the way that things go, then I'm, you know, I feel like I'm watching yeah. top notch drama. And, and, and in fact, uh, you're, we're talking about Gardmore. Mm-hmm. And one thing I did was an interview on wizards where I blabbed and blabbed about this guy, Lowell Kempf and how he inspired that adventure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I did the, the encounters outer Gardmore encounters book for, for Gardmore, mm-hmm. uh, like the outer, outer Gardmore stuff. And most of the, those encounters, there's a weird alternate way to do, to avoid combat most right. of the time. And the reason for that is because this guy, Lowell, who was, he's one of the guys who's in like the 20 year campaign. He, I think he's just, he's played every RPG scenario. So uh, all he wants to do is come up with a more interesting way to do everything in the game. Right. So, uh, so all those encounters were designed from the mindset of, well, what would this guy do? What would a guy who is looking for a, for a really interesting way to go around this situation, what would they do? Hmm. Um, and that's a way of like, um, and I'm just trying to say there that uh, I, um, I don't want to know everything that's going to happen. I want there to be a, you know, um, a lot of spontaneity and, in uh, in what in the adventure and what's going on and and not necessarily knowing the ending, just kind of knowing the general direction of where you're going or the way you want the the eventual kind of culmination, having it be sort of a a general idea, but not a concrete. This you know they're going to go here, they're going to fight this guy. Right, exactly. Yeah. So and so you know nobody wants to be in those games. We've all been in them and we 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 hate them. <laughs> sometimes it's funny. Sometimes I've I've actually queried my 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 group a lot about that and they they tend to like the structure i've been using the most recently which is there's there's nice predefined there's there's a number of paths that they can take that are all relatively well defined so they don't they're not left completely alone to their own course but they know like ah we can go after this or we can go after this or we can go after this or we can try this or we can try this or we can try this and choices are great i'm just talking about the plot train where yeah nobody wants it where it's like you are absolutely going this way yeah yeah. and you're just kind of enacting the dms yeah it's interesting i love i love you know video games and, and and playing different video games and seeing how choices matter and you know a couple of the more recent ones i mean obviously i've been playing a lot of mass effect 3 which is one of the best games to watch a story evolve over time it's just as soon as we're off this interview so yeah <laughs> what i love about that one is every conversation between two people who play that game are completely different right they're just everybody has a different version of that story and everybody's got a different version of shepherd and 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 all of the stories all of the things that they've done across those three games is is wildly diverse yeah, i love, I um, love dragon age and, and mass Effect. yeah dragon age right dragon age dragon age is funny because it's like no matter what you choose you're screwed right like love it. yeah right where it's like well if you, you you're like oh it's air, elves versus werewolves how could i possibly go against the oh it turns out the elves are a bunch of dicks i love it yeah well, the werewolves I, are like yeah native americans and we don't want to be mean to them so you know like oh god this is awful um, but then the funny thing is I was playing Zelda, uh, on a, on a plane ride. Actually, I was coming back from the time where you and I first met, which was at DDXP this year. Uh-huh. And I, I was flying back and being a nerd, I was getting as much gaming in as I could. And the game I was playing was, was Zelda. Um, I don't remember which one it is, whatever the Zelda is on the 3DS. And there's a scene where Zelda says, you know, like the princess Zelda is talking to Link and says like, oh, you know, there's this big problem and I really need your help to go do this. Will you help me? Yes. No. And I'm looking at the question and I'm like, no. <laughs> and then she said, oh, come on, don't be silly. Are you going to help me? Yes, no. And I'm like, no. And she's like, oh, come on, don't you want to be silly? You know, come on, don't you want to help me? And I'm like, why did you even program this question in? Yeah. Like, why yeah. pretend? You know, if you're just going to force me down a path, just do it. Don't don't give me this illusion of choice and then not have one. You know, it's like. And I don't know. Like, could you have a little sub quest that kind of gets you back on the rails? Maybe, but this is the, the idea that you would program this little loop that just loops you right back into the same question until eventually you answer yes was, you know, felt pretty chicken shit to me, even for a game as good as Zelda. There was a there were a couple um, 
there were a couple choices that I put into the Siege of Gardmore Abbey, which was the adventure that ran at PAX. Yeah. And uh, I got a couple notes back from the editor that said, uh, well, at a convention, at a, at a gaming convention, no player will cho- will make this choice. Mm-hmm. And I, my, I was like, yeah, but they have the choice. Mm-hmm. And if they make the choice, different things happen. Uh, so yeah, if you ever if you ever put a choice and expect them to pick, you know, expect them to pick any of those options, and people did, and I heard about people that did make the the other choice. Uh, and I bet they liked having an adventure. They were playing at a con where they had choice. Exactly, so that most of them are on the rails. <laughs> that was my whole thing. That's why I wrote it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I hope that people get a chance to do that because it's it's a I don't know I. I I really hoped that that would be for home games, and, and Greg Bilson and I were talking about it way back when, and he was like, "Yeah, I want to want to make this uh, um, put it out online." And uh, I said, "Great!" And I thought, "Well, this is going to be for packs, but I'm going to write it for home play." Mm-hmm. And then it, it's sort of been stuck behind the wall for a while, and it might come out. We might That'd see be great. it. Great, uh, yeah. Because I was talking to them at XP, and I'd love to see more of the the stuff that they've been putting out for cons and. And you know, old D D D encounter seasons and stuff like that. Oh yeah, released to yeah. a wider group. A lot, I, a lot I looked, of good material that's not getting out there. Crystal Cave was going for like uh, you know a ridiculous amount of oh, money. Yeah, I don't even want to think about. I it. have a few copies of that. I doesn't <laughs> <laughs> get a few copies. <laughs> I just haven't gotten Cap- around capitalizing. To well, this has been a fantastic conversation. It has. I've, Thank I've, you very I've, much. For I've having learned me. a lot. I, I I can't wait to start using some of these tips. I thought well, your I you thought your tips were great. You knew you've been doing all this stuff. No, I'm I'm you know I I do all of this. Everything that I do in this I do because I want to learn more about about how to how to run a great game. Everything comes back to learning how to run a great game, and you can always you can always learn more. You're well, very kind is, to say so, but I'm convinced that you're already doing all this stuff. No, no. There's there's certain things I do, but like I said, there's lots of lots of stuff where I can certainly use some improvement as my group, I'm sure, would tell you. But uh, I appreciate I, I greatly appreciate your time and I hope we can I hope we can do it again. Yes, and I hope we get to uh to game together next yeah. con. That would be great. Uh, you go to Origins or I don't. I no, the the big ones for me probably from now on are going to be Gen Con and PAX. And we'll probably do PAX East. Okay. So well then, uh, Gen Con will uh, meet up and play games. Yeah, twice a year. Yeah, definitely. 